1: Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with Tech Health Podcasts, and I have Jay Scott Turner. He's an American physiologist who's contributed to the theory of collective intelligence, do some field work, and um, with me, a South African species of a termite, Macrotermes uh, mycoceni, and uh, discovering things such as uh, these termites and other species seem to act in concert as a, as a superorganism, if I have it right, to create things like termite mounds that not only benefit the community in uh, you know certain ways, but literally physically act as a uh, I guess a bridge to the community to create a super organism. So I'm probably uh, butchering what how what he would describe it, but Scott, welcome, thanks. How are you doing?
2: Thanks, glad to be here. Yeah. and you did a great job by the way describing it.
1: Oh, thank you. So tell me about
2: how did you get interest
1: in this kind of work, and how did you first encounter what you consider to be a, a super organism?
2: Well, uh, with respect to the termites, I literally kind of stumbled upon the subject. Uh, As you said in your introduction, I'm a physiologist. Uh, That's someone who's interested in how living things work. And I'd always combine that with an interest in uh, ecology and adaptation and evolution. And I came across these termites uh, at the end of a a multi-year stay in, in Cape Town in South Africa. And uh, as a part of my uh, stay there, I picked up a family, and uh, and when my contract ran out at the University of Cape Town, I had to do something to be able to make ends meet, and so I took a job at a uh, at a small college up near the Botswana border. And one of the striking things about that landscape is the enormous number of these huge termite mounds that are uh, that are uh, around there. They're a very prominent feature of. Those savannah landscape and. I was faced with the challenge of, of trying to generate uh, several laboratory exercises for the students that I was teaching up there, and I thought these termite mounds would provide a really uh, interesting uh, demonstration for the students. Uh, one of the reasons that I thought that is that there's a, uh, there, wa- there was a very well-established and beautiful story about how these termite mounds worked. Uh, they were called air-conditioned termite mounds, and the uh, mm. idea was that uh the 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 colony which is uh, which is actually underneath the mound the termites don't live in the mound they live in a uh-huh. compact yeah yeah they 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 live in a compact nest uh, underground they're fascinating creatures there are a couple of million uh individuals in this colony uh they do things like like uh, cultivate uh, fun, fungus to help them digest uh, their 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 food as as they bring it back and they generate quite a bit of heat uh, as a process of of, of doing that. And they generate so much heat that it's actually similar to the rate of our own metabolism, our own uh, heat production. And the story was that that generation of heat would set up uh, a circulation of air within the mound, uh, similar to what happens when you have a space heater sitting in the middle of a cold room. You know, the space heater heats the air, it's buoyant, it rises up and circulates in the room. So I thought, well, here's an easy uh, easy thing to demonstrate to my students and kind of a neat subject. And so I rigged up a cup, some, uh, some some simple instruments to demonstrate the airflow, and uh, took the students out there to uh, demonstrate to them what was going on. And uh, to my uh, embarrassment, uh, it wasn't anything like the beautiful story said it should be. And 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 uh, so that's that that was intriguing to me i that that, that actually started a uh, a years long uh, research project not only to figure out uh what was the way that these things actually worked if the accepted story wasn't true and along the way uh you know science uh, when you answer one question it usually opens up a whole bunch of other questions and, and That's uh, true. That, that 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 just that just uh, uh you know laid out a whole series of threads that led me into all kinds of of uh, of other uh topics uh, ranging from ecology to engineering uh, into some fairly philosophical issues about what's the nature of the organism and and uh, those kinds of things and and uh, it's been a wonderful journey for me. It's uh, it's been intellectually very stimulating. It's kept me busy for many many years, uh, 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 trying to figure out uh, these things, trying to come to terms with what they are and how they work, and uh, and that has led me into some uh, thoughts about adaptation and evolution and the nature of the organism. But at the beginning, it was completely serendipitous. I literally stumbled onto the onto the topic. I thought you were going to say that
1: you lived in a house and there was termites there and, you know, one day you saw them that they had eaten away the wall and revealed, I don't know,
2: the (laughs) sound
1: in a hidden part of the house. That would be a cool
2: story too, I guess. Well, that is a cool story and that's what often happens with North American termites, but uh, these these termites uh, down there, they they don't inhabit houses. They they build their own literally, you know, and and uh and uh they're a very important part of the of the uh, ecology of these savanna ecosystems. Uh, uh they consume enormous amounts of grass and wood, you know, more more so than the than the big mammals that people pay thousands of dollars to come down and take photographs of, uh, and uh, they're extremely important in the functioning of these ecosystems. So, so. Uh they're not pests at all. Uh, they uh, are very important parts of of, uh, of, of these uh, ecosystems, and uh, they're also just fascinating creatures. And uh, they make for what is sometimes a fairly eerie looking landscape with all these great big uh, termite mounds popping up out of the out of the ground.
1: So I understand that <laughs> you know termites live in a colony like ants or bees, and they're kind of you know they're a collective. But why would you go further and say that? Because of the mound itself that's part of the super organism, I can see saying the colony itself could be a super organism it has one goal, etc. but why the mound included
2: yeah the 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 whole super organism idea is an interesting one it's 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 it's, it's uh, come and gone out of fashion uh, uh, with uh, different uh, trends in scientific thinking, but the basic idea is that the colony behaves in many ways like an organism does. You know, in 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 for example, uh, you know, we we consist of many uh, billions of cells, and uh, and there's specialization. Uh, uh, among them, they work together, and uh, the, the end result is this: uh, is this coherent organism that 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 we and every other organism is. But you find a lot of the same attributes in many of these assemblages of organisms, like bee colonies and ant colonies. And and as I said, this has come and gone out of fashion. Uh, it was thought to be kind of a nebulous. Uh, Philosophical concept for many years, but then uh, it's recently come back as uh, something real, as you know we have thought about the nature of the organism. Now, the fascinating thing about the mound is that. The mound is not just this big pile of dirt, you know, it's it's uh it, it has complex uh, architecture, um, it's differentiated in structure from the nest underground where the termites actually live. And uh the colony or sorry, I beg your pardon, the mound itself uh has a function. It it, uh, it serves uh, basically to capture wind energy uh, in the environment, and that helps power the gas exchange uh, needs of the termite colony that's uh, located underground. So it's literally uh, a lung made from soil, and it's a wind-driven lung as well. And what we um, have found is that we've tried to delve into just how it works is that the mechanism of that dirt lung is uh, very similar to the mechanisms that govern the operation of our own lungs. And and so, you know, this, this, this complex function uh, uh, is based upon a complex structure, complex architecture and the question for a physiologist like me is that, you know, this is, this is a physiological organ that's been generated uh, de novo, literally out of soil. And, you know, and, and, and it's a kind of uh, emergent physiology, if you will, that's, that's, that's not part of the organism uh, itself. That is the uh, individual uh, termites that make up the colony and you know this is this is a fundamental question for physiologists you know where does physiology come from and in this case the physiology that is the gas exchange comes from these termites collectively building this structure that has complex structure and complex function in it as well and so it's you know it stands out well you can kind of get the idea why this has occupied my my energies and and time for many many years to work all this out and the questions that it poses for where physiology comes from yeah so when so
1: are there a lot of examples of external creations by a living creature that are so integrated with their ability to live that it essentially is an extension of themselves
2: as organisms. Well, yeah, this is one of the uh, things that uh, came out of came out of uh, uh, this work, and uh, I don't want to say that I'm uh, the only person who's who's, who's done this. Uh, one of the original uh, scientists who who started to ponder what the meaning of of animal-built structures was was a was a German biologist. He won the Nobel Prize, Carl von Frisch, uh, and he wrote a very famous book called Animal Architecture. and And his uh, thesis there was that uh, lots of uh, organisms build things, uh, and uh, what does the what do those uh, built things tell us about the about the organism, and and his basic idea was that uh, a- animal architecture is a kind of uh, is a kind of uh, roadmap of the behavior that that led to it, and, that, and that's been and that's been one stream. Of thought that has uh, that has uh, permeated this whole issue of of uh, things built by animals, uh, where I have come in and my my little uh, piece of the puzzle there is that uh, animal architecture is not so much frozen behavior as it is an expression of uh, of the physiological needs of the organism, and and the more you look for these kinds of uh, modified environments, uh, the more you find them you know once you have the search image to to uh to look for these things and you see that uh modification of the environment and building of things by animals not just animals but also plants and bacteria and those sorts of uh, creatures uh, it's it's uh ubiquitous the the termite mound is a spectacular example of it but uh the termite mound is really a means of uh, adapting an environment to the physiological needs of the organisms that that inhabit it, and 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 uh, you see this uh, emerging uh, as a general uh, uh, property of living things. Living things adapt, uh, not necessarily by uh, being genetically endowed to function well in a particular environment, but they actually modify the environment to themselves. Uh, in other words, uh, adaptation in this instance is a two-way street. You know, uh, animals and organisms adapt to environments, but they also adapt environments to themselves. And, and uh, you know, as I said, uh, you know, the more you look for these kinds of things, uh, uh, the more you see them almost everywhere that life exists.
1: Well, what about in, um, you know, people that have um you know, gut bacteria and other bacteria, and they outnumber us in terms of number of cells and certainly in terms of number of genes. Um, You know, how about at that level? It's probably easier to say that them and us are a superorganism.
2: Absolutely, and that's the emerging uh, uh, idea behind uh, these amazing discoveries of the flora that that, uh, share our bodies. And, uh, you know, I remember when I was uh, an undergraduate biology student uh, many many years ago, uh, we were taught about the gut bacteria, you know, which was uh, E. coli, and and since then, you know, the 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 knowledge of those uh, of those flora has just exploded. And as as you know, and 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 you know, when you look at uh, the role of the gut flora, for example, uh, they do the same thing. You know, they 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 interact with the, the cells that are that are are us in quotes. You know, the cells that are descended from the fertilized egg that gave rise to us, and and they construct their environments as well, to the point where if you try to um, uh, uh, raise uh, uh, animals uh mammals with without the gut bacteria then their function of their gut uh, is just uh, in the tank it doesn't develop properly uh, uh and uh, it doesn't function well uh, as a consequence and an important part of the ability of the of our own guts to function well uh depends not only on the presence of these bacteria, but also on the ability of these bacteria to modify uh, the gut environment uh, themselves. Uh, and so there's a very fascinating uh, mutual relationship between what goes on in our guts and uh, also the flora that live you know, on our skins and other uh, kinds of uh, places in the body and the healthy functioning of those things. You know, it's literally a big. Uh, cooperative endeavor. And uh, yeah. and you have not only uh, us, in quotes, uh, adapting to the bacteria, but the bacteria adapting us to them. Yeah, it's weird when you think about
1: it. <clears throat> you know, like in, in humans, we have all these different bacteria and viruses and fungi, et cetera, And they're all, none of them are wanting to die. They all want to proliferate and, you know, and do their own exactly. thing and advance exactly. their own, their own uh, strain. But then again, they're all cooperating to the benefit of this one superorganism, which is us. Exactly. It's just odd that you wonder what does what a liver cell know and how does it act versus uh, a bacteria in our guts? You know, how different are they and how they operate and what they will and won't do? It's just I, I don't even know how to describe it, but it's just strange. this hierarchy of allegiance to uh, to the one, you know.
2: Oh, it's absolutely mind-boggling, and and uh, you know the the uh, the the common thread in all this, and and you uh, touched upon this, uh, you know, how does a liver cell know what to do and uh, and and what it is, and and that's really the fundamental core of it. You know, the 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 liver cell does know. You know we don't have to surround that word in scare quotes. You know, there there, there is there is a certain um, uh, ability of every cell to assess the environment that it's in, and to uh, modify uh, not only uh, what's inside its cell boundaries, but also to modify what's outside the cell boundaries uh, as well. And as part of that mix is is uh, is all the other cognitive uh, 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 individuals that are in that uh, system. And and so a an intent, uh, a, one of the cells lining our intestines, for example, you know, it it kind of knows what it wants to be. It 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 develops uh, in a certain way, and it works to uh, you know to make itself uh, that certain way. But then, along come these bacteria who have a different uh, cognitive view of the world, and and if they don't come to an agreement, uh, the whole system dies. And and so there 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 is this fundamental element of of, of cooperation that has to take place for that that whole assemblage to persist uh, through time and uh at the heart of it is is uh, this ongoing uh, negotiation between the different actors there and of course uh, you know you can you can proliferate those negotiations uh, almost ad infinitum you know the the intestinal cell interacts with other cells and there are immune cells that uh, come into the mix and have their own uh, particular cognitive uh, appreciation of the world around them, uh, never mind the bacteria and the interaction with all the other different uh, competing species of bacteria. Uh, and somehow they have to come to some kind of mutual accommodation or the whole thing blows up uh, to the detriment of of all. And, and uh, you know, the, this... It's it, it is mind-boggling to imagine the complexity of it and what's uh, what has to be going on there.
1: What do you think uh, cancer is? It seems to have all the hallmarks of an independent life form, except for the mistake it makes in killing its host, which kills it. But is that a break from the from allegiance to the one to the superorganism? That and that's what I don't know the model that cancer operates under. It, it just makes me think. I don't know
2: well cancer is a particularly interesting uh, interesting case you know the, the 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 standard model is that is that you have this renegade uh, tribe of cells that uh, that develops either through a mutation or or some other modification and, uh, and and it becomes independent from the from the collective of the organism um Especially in the case of of breast cancer, uh, though, uh, there are some surprising uh, things that are going on uh, there. So, for example, when you look at the uh, ability of breast cancer cells to travel to uh, other other cells in the body, you know, so-called metastatic uh, breast cancer, which of course is very, uh, which is very serious and uh, very damaging to the body. Uh, it's not so much you have this renegade uh, set of cells; it's that you have cells within the body, particularly parts of the immune system, that actually facilitate their their transmission to to other. Um, to other parts of the body so so uh, there's a level of cooperation and mutual accommodation that takes place uh, even there and and you know we're still trying to work out what the implications of that are for for you know not only how to how to treat uh, metastatic breast cancer but also just what is the meaning of cancer you know what 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 is it what's 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 going on there you know and is it a failure of regulation or is it a, is it a, another regulatory agenda that has uh, that has uh, uh, risen um in some uh, in in, to, in some pernicious ways within the body and so you know we're even going through some some uh, some changes in our thinking about that but you know this all does come back to what's the nature of the organism you know is it this uh, is it this uh... you know very highly regulated uh... uh... kind of system is that where the stability comes from or is there something deeper going on you know is it is it uh uh the the consequence of this incredibly complex uh, set of uh, of uh, of cognitive interactions of individual actors uh, like cells or assemblages of cells with other cells and and what kinds of uh, what kinds of negotiations and mutual accommodations uh, uh come up there and uh you know this uh this tendency of our own immune cells to help spread uh, uh breast cancer cells to other other uh organs of the body you know what's going on there you know i mean it, you know it's hmm, it's yeah. not it it's not that the the immune cells are are being prevented from doing their job they're doing their job perfectly well but they're aiding the propagation of of this pernicious, uh, lineage of cells that has, that has, uh, developed within a woman's body.
1: Yeah, it's weird. It seems to mimic, uh, human society. You know, there's
2: yeah. people
1: in human society, like let's say the military and they will give their life for the, the common good. You know, then there's maybe, let's say police that, um, are supposed to do that, but at times they, you know, they may be corrupted. Um, then there's individuals that are just community-minded, then there's ro- rogue individuals that say, you know, to heck with everyone else, I'm doing my thing, and I wonder if all those things uh, are evidenced in a living organism, you know, or us.
2: That seems to be the emerging story. Hmm.
1: So, I mean, what, have you, do we have names for these different levels of allegiance, let's say, or hierarchy?
2: Uh, not really. Actually, that's an interesting question. Uh, uh, I'm I'm not aware of of of, uh, of um, of anyone who has tried to put together a classification of these different kinds of behaviors, in part because I think our understanding or our conception of of the organism is uh, is changing quite rapidly. It's it's changing not only from uh, from uh, people who are interested in the evolution and evolutionary implications of this and adaptation, but I think it's also uh, changing uh, a great deal based upon developing uh, knowledge of uh, the nature of the gene, and uh, and so, for example, you know, the gene ha- ha- has classically been thought of as as a specifier of function, and and uh, and and that can be a very profitable way of thinking about it. You know, this is one of the reasons why. Coming back to cancer, why why cancer therapy, the appropriate therapy, turns uh, so strongly on on particular uh, mutations that might exist in a person's body, and 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 the treatment of of a cancer is going to be influenced very strongly by by whether those mutations exist or not, but. Uh, The emerging uh, conception of of what the genome uh, is, that is the assemblage of DNA molecules that make up uh, all the supposed genes, in the body is really going through a tremendous amount uh, of flux. Uh, so, for example, in the specifier concept of genes, uh, uh, the classical idea was that you have uh, a, a code uh, in DNA that specifies a particular protein, for example, and that protein uh, has a certain function and uh, it will the, the cell or organism will function better or worse depending upon what that what that sequence code uh, is in the DNA. Uh, What seems to be emerging right uh, now is is a much more dynamic uh, uh, conception of the interaction between uh, DNA and the rest of the cell that actually introduces quite a bit of fluidity in the way that uh, that a uh, sequence of dna for example dna nucleotides will translate into function and furthermore the feedback of that function onto uh, the defi- the very definition of a gene and and uh, uh, this can uh, take uh, place in terms of uh, immediate feedbacks in living cells uh, for example or within living uh, organisms but it can also feedback to the extent that these uh, variations are heritable so they can be transmitted onto subsequent uh, uh generations and and so what this is pointing to uh, is 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 a very dynamic and fluid uh relationship between uh hereditary memory which could be part of genes, but could also be parts of, uh, of built environments uh, by organisms uh, and uh, function. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, it's, it's, we're really living through a time when, when uh, a lot of supposedly uh, well-established uh, dogmas about, uh, about biology and genes and evolution are, are really up in the air again in ways that uh, yeah, they haven't yeah. been for many years
1: yeah it makes Darwinian evolution that you know the modern synthesis and all that look pretty lame and missing out yeah. on so many different things that are right in front of us you know that
2: well it you yeah. know it puts
1: everything into the world of randomness and no thought, and it's just ridiculous the more I learn you. Know?
2: Well, it is it is heretical for you to say that, and it's heretical for anyone who takes that position to say that. And and of course, this is That's one of bad. the interesting interesting things about uh, about uh, being a scientist right now, being an evolutionary scientist, is that uh, you know there, there's there's a lot of heresy. Floating about, and 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 the heresy is starting to look uh, look more credible uh, every day as we understand more and more about uh, about uh, you know the way the whole thing works, and and yeah. you know I, I I don't want to take anything away from the neo-Darwinian revolution because if you look back at the history of the development uh, of of this, the the emergence of neo-Darwinism was 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 literally one of the great intellectual achievements of all time. So I don't want to take Anything away from it, but it was uh, built upon some conceptions of the gene and hereditary memory that that uh, just aren't really uh, applicable anymore. You know, and and uh, and and I think you characterize it correctly. You know, we're we're looking at an explanation for evolution that uh, that is uh, uh, looking in increasingly tattered and uh, and 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 not very powerful in terms of being able to explain. What it purports to explain, uh, you know. But uh, you know, again, I don't want to take anything away from the brilliant achievement that it was. It, it, it's just that, uh, is it, that know, we've we've kind of moved on, you know. And there's there's a lot more interesting there that it, that it cannot explain.
1: Right, right. Yeah, I was thinking about you know during pregnancy, um, you know, like so your immune system. I try to identify self versus non-self and attack non-self. And it's funny, during pregnancy, there's this, you know, period of cooperation because the new baby is uh, essentially non-self from the mother. That's so amazing that that cooperation goes on. And then, you know, uh, a temporary armistice, I guess you can call it, that's facilitated by the placenta and other things.
2: And sure, then this, yeah. Uh,
1: business as usual continues, you know.
2: Yeah, I think it goes even further than that, you know, when you when you when you look at the uh some of the theories about uh, the origins of of uh, immune diseases and and autoimmune diseases, things like asthma and uh, those those kinds of things, you know, the 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 key picture of the immune system that's emerging is it, it is a trainable system that uh, operates on on uh, being able to sense environments and being able to respond accordingly to them. And so, for example, you know, you're no doubt aware of of, of uh, I think it's the, the the hygiene hypothesis for the origin. Of asthma you know and you know the the kids go out and they play in the dirt and they stick things in their mouths and uh, these kinds Mm -hmm. of things and and what that's doing is actually training the immune system to this kind of mutual accommodation that is necessary for for the persistence of organisms that you know the the very same thing that governs the interactions between all the uh, all the multitudinous flora in our guts and on our skins and our mouths and uh the rest of the rest of the body so so there is this kind of cooperation that has to develop it has to operate through you know this process of of uh, of of cognition and uh, mutual accommodation and negotiation about you know what has to happen to help make sure that we all can survive as as an assemblage and, and you know something similar like that is happening in uh, pregnancy uh, as well you know it's a it is a new challenge uh, but but it's the same kind of challenge that operates any time our gut flora changes. You know, the, the the whole purpose of immune cells is to be, you know, pulling the environment uh, around themselves and, and uh, you know, uh, inducing whatever modifications are needed to help this whole system persist. Yeah, I thought
1: about, um, you know, what if you eat a very narrow diet of all prepackaged foods versus... Um, you know, you're like that guy from Bizarre Foods that goes all over the world and eats everything. I wondered about his gut microbiome. He must have, you know, for a time, had the most varied gut microbiome you've ever seen in your life. You know,
2: he's eaten everything. Yes, probably. And uh, you know, it's 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 pretty well established that that uh, you know our our diet grows a particular assemblage of gut bacteria, and that we can not only uh, train our Gut bacteria, but our gut bacteria can train us as well. You know, the 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 composition of our of our gut ecosystems uh, has some incredible uh, ramifications for things like food preference and uh, and uh, the 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 regulation of body fat versus uh, metabolism and those kinds of things. So so it literally is a two way street. Um, And, uh, you know, again, these are emerging things that are uh, coming out of our increasing knowledge of how living things work and uh, how they remember uh, past experience and how they influence uh, those memories of past experience.
1: But it's interesting to think that we can create, you know, at least some degree of immunity by exposing ourselves, you know, like you said, to dirt and maybe in low levels to toxins and to all kinds of different foods and it's interesting that we can change, maybe not what we consider to be us, you know, our somatic cells, but our immune system, which is still us, or our gut bacteria, which some people think is us or not us, and they can, we can change what they are and the composition and everything, and really actively alter how we react to our environment by doing these things, such as eating different foods or.
2: Well there's no doubt that uh, there's a lot of mutual uh, negotiation and accommodation going on there. Uh you know, we it's it's uh, pretty well established that that we can train our gut bacteria uh with our diet and uh you know, someone who uh, who eats a a a carbohydrate rich diet is going to have a different gut flora from someone who eats a more protein rich diet. So it does work that way as well, but it works uh, it also works the other way. Uh you know, our our gut bacteria have some amazing capabilities of of being able to influence uh uh being able to influence uh, things like food preferences and uh and uh, regulation of uh how the body processes uh, uh materials that is whether it lays down uh fat or whether it burns it up uh, immediately to generate heat and uh and and so it literally is a, a mutual accommodation between all this uh, all these different uh, organisms that Together, make up really in our case what is essentially a superorganism, uh, very similar in organization to um, to the way the social insect colony, the termite colony, works. Yeah.
1: So, what are I mean, what are some of the unique or deeper insights you've gotten from studying this and thinking about it for so many years?
2: I think it's given me uh, um, um, a deeper appreciation of of what adaptation is. Uh, uh, Adaptation is uh, really kind of a troubled concept in in modern evolutionary biology. Uh, um, uh, Many of my colleagues will object to the statement, but uh, I don't think we really understand adaptation very well. And uh, and, uh, this, I think, has led us to... um, uh, uh having explanations for evolution that's that's uh that don't really hold water anymore and so for example you know i i, I for many years was a pretty staunch darwinist uh um, and as a consequence of, of trying to confront this uh, issue in termite mounds uh, uh over many years i've had to really rethink that that commitment uh, uh i i i can't really claim to be a Darwinian anymore. Uh, I think the the whole uh, um, genetic selection idea, what's often called neo-Darwinism, doesn't really explain very much. I've become more of a Lamarckian, uh, if 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 uh, your uh, audience will uh, appreciate that word. Uh, and as part of that, uh, it's led me to a deeper um, exploration of just what life is and 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 how. That nature uh, influences uh, the evolution of life and adaptation, and and I've come down to the conclusion that uh, that evolution is not really a matter of selection. That's actually a matter of cognition and uh, striving. And, mm-hmm. and 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 one thing I I, I say that uh, often sets people's teeth on edge is that is that there's 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 a certain degree of intentionality and purposefulness to evolution that that the whole Darwinian idea uh, Tries to exclude and and it excludes right. that uh, you know for, you know one can say that there's good reasons for that you know you want to be properly scientific you don't want to be reading intentions into other organisms and so forth you know I I, I appreciate that uh, that that stance uh, uh, right. quite a bit but ultimately life is a very purposeful phenomenon and it has intentionality it has it has creativity uh, that those are probably the most uh, Distinctive things about it, and I don't see how a theory of evolution that excludes those very things can really tell us very much. And and so that's hmm. one of the reasons why I've sort of moved away from being a Darwinian to to being more of a Lamarckian, because that uh, actually brings in uh, to our thinking uh, elements of, of cognition and intentionality and purposefulness that that uh, the Darwinian idea. Excludes from the outset, and and uh, and we're still working out, you know, uh, what the implications of that are, you know, but it's but it's uh, it's what uh, this work has has led me into.
1: Well, you could still go halfway and say you're a epigeneticist, you know.
2: Well, so you yep. don't have to uh-huh. go all the way to
1: Lamarckianism, you know, being a <laughs> Lamarckian and talking about intention and you know will and all that. You could just say, hey, you know, uh, we acquire epigenetic marks or our genome adapts to the environment. There's no will or or consciousness there. But you know, even that to me is not satisfying. But I understand.
2: Well, I agree. It's not satisfying, and that's one of the reasons why I I, I, I am saying that no, you 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 have to have a theory of evolution that takes into account life's unique properties. And 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 you know, epigenetics is is certainly a part of this, but it's the whole story. It's it, it's not the whole story. You know, that when you ask yourself. Okay, well, what is it that comes and feeds back to govern the the, uh, the uh, existence of those genetic markers and so forth? You know, you you can understand quite a lot of uh, what's going on by just focusing on epigenetics as a as a uh, subdiscipline of genetics itself. So you can stay, respectively, within the, respectively within the uh, within the fold of, of uh, I'm putting this in scare quotes, uh, scientific biology now by focusing on that. But then you have to ask yourself, well, what is it that's influencing? those and and you ultimately come down to uh what's influencing those is is the lived experience of of the cells that contain that DNA and and if you just follow that thread you're going to come ultimately to uh a physiological function, adaptation, uh, the kind of purposeful behavior uh that, uh, that uh, governs life and and so um you know it I've tried my best to to um Wiggle out of this uh, of, of this dilemma, you know. But uh, ultimately, mm-hmm. you do have to come down to uh, having to grapple with life's fundamental qualities, which is cognition, intentionality, and purposefulness.
1: Well, <clears throat> at, at what level does will, free will, start? Are there different levels of it? You know, at what will, at what level is there full consciousness, and what are the different levels of it? You know, like. Does a dog have the same consciousness we have? Probably not. Does it have the same degree of free will that we have? You know, I don't know. And then you go down maybe to a, a lower organism, you know, a termite or an ant. Then you go down maybe to uh, the cell or a bacteria. You know, has anyone attempt to quantify or give a um, an idea of what they believe? Or I, I didn't even know how you could observe this experimentally. So I guess you'd have to figure it out. But you know, has anyone made this hierarchy of free will, consciousness, et cetera.
2: Well this is one of the one of the thorny issues here, isn't it? You know, the uh you know, you you mentioned that uh okay I can accept that my dog is a conscious being but certainly not in the same way that, that, that I am or you are. But uh, ultimately I can't even say that about you or any other human being, you know, and and that's in part because uh, uh consciousness is just such an idiosyncratic Thing. You know, I, I know I am conscious to absolute certainty. Um, I'm pretty sure you are 99.999%, but, the, you know, there is that little margin. Certainly, I can accept that, that uh, you know, so, uh, you know, certainly I can accept that my dog is conscious, but different, maybe, maybe, uh, you know, 80% similar and so forth. And so I've tried to stay away from issues of consciousness. uh, uh I've 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 actually preferred to uh to express this in terms of, of of cognition, which is the ability to sense an environment and to uh uh map that uh that uh, sense of the environment onto onto function and then to couple that to to uh modification of of that sensed environment. And And uh, when you express it in this way, uh, uh, things become a little bit more tractable. Um, They also are a bit more susceptible to uh, scientific study. But one of the radical implications of this is that uh, if, if, Cognition is life's distinctive property. Then, then everything has to be cognitive in one way or another. Uh, and uh, and and even bacteria and assemblages of bacteria um, uh, are in a sense uh, uh, cognitive uh, uh, beings. And and uh, that thought has been percolating around uh, biology for many years. Uh, one of the um, one of the principal advocates of it for many years was Lynn Margulis, who uh, of course was this uh, yes. uh, amazing biologist who had uh, these these, uh, these very heterodox thoughts about evolution, and and one of the things that that one of the complaints that she had about uh, the neo darwinian idea was that it didn't take into account uh that cognition was nearly a universal uh property of life and and uh, that's something that i um am really in agreement with so so these ideas are out there you know it's a part of the part of the debate uh, that's what makes it interesting of course and uh, and, uh, and And so uh, it's, it's percolating out there. You know, it's a, it's an issue of interest to a lot of us. I mean, even within people, you know, think about
1: your consciousness now versus if you ever got very drunk, (laughs) you're kind of in a different state of consciousness, or if you smoked weed or took magic mushrooms, or if you're sleeping, I mean, there's all these, even within us, there's all these different levels and experiences of consciousness. You could say that someone that's sleeping is conscious, but, or they're unconscious really, but. They're still aware. They're still dreaming. They're still doing something. You know, it's I don't know. It's just uh, it's, it's I understand it's very hard to quantify, but yeah, you know, I think that some attempt needs to be made to quantify somehow. I know people have been doing it and trying it, but uh,
2: yeah, I don't know. Well, I don't know
1: where to lead. It's just thoughts, thoughts I've had. You know.
2: Yeah, sure. Yeah, and and you know, when it comes to uh, you know, say drinking alcohol or taking drugs or those kinds of things, you know, we uh, we. We perceive it consciously as as a different conscious state, uh, but of course, uh, you know, you, you you can't get away from the notion that these are altered cognitive states as well. And and uh, um, addiction to different substances, alcohol or other kinds of drugs, is an interesting example of this because, you know, it's we can we can we can delve into. Uh, you know the the ways that uh, alcohol abuse, for example, modifies uh, certain areas of the brain that are tied into into uh, into pleasure and reward and those kinds of things. But ultimately, you come down to it. You know this is an altered cognitive state. Uh, alcoholism and addiction these are these are cognitive disorders. You know these are not uh, uh, disorders of 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 uh, you know the mechanism of pleasure and reward. You know you 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 ultimately come down to um uh the fact that uh, an alcoholic or a drug abuser uh somehow it seems to them like a good idea to to drink an entire bottle of uh of whiskey or to you know stick the needle up your arm uh one more time you right. know, you, know, you know somehow that's thought by addicts to be the right thing to do and 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 that's that's really Well not even disorder. not even addiction I mean you know
1: right. When I was younger, I would like I like to get drunk sometimes, you know, I'm an alcoholic. But I remember, when I was 21, I I enjoyed getting drunk. It was fun, and yeah. even in an altered state. But you kind of want that, you know. It didn't feel bad at the time. Now it's forget it. But
2: yeah, but, you know, you
1: you people crave those things, which is odd, you know. Or if someone takes mushrooms recreationally once or twice, yeah. you know, that's this completely different state of existence. Who's exactly. to say like you know our normal state is good and that is bad and the fact that you're able to even exist in this other altered state is interesting and strange, you know?
2: So it just makes you
1: wonder other beings, what's their experience, but you know, is there something that you could do to shut down part of the processing of your brain where you would experience life as a dog, let's say for a short period of time? I don't know. I
2: don't know. Uh, It's just (laughs) interesting to think about that. It is an intriguing question. I have no idea how you could do that.
1: All right. Well, sorry (laughs) Sorry to go off on that tangent, but, um, (laughs) any so any other really surprising insights or like what are the burning questions that you're working on right now that are most important to you that you want to solve or get some
2: insight into. The thing that has surprised me the most is how I've I've moved away from being a Darwinian. You know, this is not something that I uh, started out doing or that I had a preconceived uh, notion for uh, for for doing. You know, it, it it was it was literally you know stumbling from one question to the other, and uh, this is where I ended up. And and you know, looking back on it. Well, if anyone you know,
1: I, I, uh, if anyone ever bothers you about it, just say
2: my perception
1: randomly mutated one day and now I think differently sorry uh,
2: well it's, maybe there's a mutation at work i don't know but it's a uh, you know i i i like to think that i've that, that i've that i've done it uh, you know consciously and intelligently you know uh, that's for other people to judge of course but uh, that's right. the that's the thing that has surprised me the most uh, you know looking back on things that i did not expect to be intellectually where i am right now the big challenge uh right now though is to try to uh put some of these ideas into into some kind of scientific context and and so one of the things that i'm doing is uh is that we we've been moving away from from termites uh lately we still have active research going on there but uh moving away from termites uh, uh to looking at how other organisms uh, well how adaptation actually works in other organisms and and so we've been doing some work in the Namib desert uh, there's some just fascinating uh, organisms there that uh, that adapt very well and live quite well in a very harsh environment and so we've been we've been looking into some of the mechanisms for that to see if uh, see if uh, we can uh, see this kind of this kind of uh, cognitively driven uh adaptation that uh, has come out of our work with termites Ooh. Well, very good.
1: Um, I know there's a lot more to talk about, but it's been a you know a really good interview.
2: So, what's what's the best
1: way for folks to find out more about your work and get in contact if they have questions and uh, you know, that kind of thing? Uh,
2: well, they can go to my uh, website. Uh, it's uh J scott turner all one word and there's three t's in the middle of there jscottturner.com uh, so my website is there and there's contact information there as well uh, uh anyone is welcome to uh, send me uh, correspondence by email that's that's uh, the email address is js turner at syr.edu um and uh you know i'd be happy to hear from uh anyone who wants to chat with me
1: that's great. Well, Scott, well, thanks for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it.
0: You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious that we all have medical issues, or we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials, or even starting to appear on shelves, or by prescription, or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more.